thanks Danny for reading God's Word. Uh, good morning everyone and also good morning to those of you who are watching online. I don't know which angle the camera is. People told me that, uh, people start telling me that there is a certain angle that you have to be when you are facing camera. Like, you know, I don't know. So I'm not, I'm not sure about that. So I'm sorry if, I'm, if I don't look aesthetically pleasant in the camera. So anyway, I hope you focus on the sermon. All right. Well, uh, one big difference between parents with young kids and also uh, between parents with young kids and also other people is, is this. There are a lot of big differences, but this one big difference. There is a considerable time between when you say, kids, we're going, and when you are actually going. And there is a considerable time between when you say, we're home, and we, when you are actually resting on your bed. You know, at the end of a, at the end of a long day trip, when you arrive home, when you open the garage door, you tell yourself and you tell your children, kids, we're home. Of course, hopefully one of them will wake up after a long, uh, long sleep. And, and you look forward to this, to that nice, warm shower and that cozy blanket. And you can almost feel the warm water drizzling on your hair, onto your back. You're excited. But once you park your car, it dawns on you that your work is not over. There are still bags to carry into the house and unpacked. And if your wife is like mine, those bags need to be sanitized with sprays of eucalyptus oil. So I know our household is ready for coronavirus way before the thing started. And then, and then there, are, there are kids that you need to lead to the shower. And usually there's one kid that you have to carry from the car because Sleep, because the kid is sleeping and then need to be woken up before uh, woken up before being led to the shower and then we might feed them depending on whether we have eaten dinner or not we might need to feed them before they go to bed and then there might be some mini quarrels that we need to intervene of course everyone's tired everyone is snappy and wants to go to bed well if the laundries are quite clear that, well, there are laundries to do, as in the hanging racks are quite clear, we thought maybe we should do laundry, might as well. And their stuff needs to be stored back into their places. Then, only then, you are limping your way to the shower and crawling into your bed. Only then, you are really, really home. You feel like, ah, you can rest. You thank God for the day and you sleep until the next day's battle. So that's, what, what, that's one big difference. Now, don't get me wrong. Kids are blessings from God. They bring much joy, okay? So my point is not that kids are troubles. No, kids are blessings from God. But my point is this. There are days that you think that, ah, I'm finally home. Finally, I'm home. But you're not yet there. You're not yet there. There are still things to do. You still need to get busy in the house before you are finally home. Well, I think this is pretty much what happened to the disciples in this passage. It says in verse 11, as the disciples heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because Jesus was near to Jerusalem and because the disciples supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, after following Jesus for three years, after seeing what Jesus had been teaching and what Jesus had been doing, they believed they knew at least that Jesus was the chosen one. So when Jesus was near Jerusalem, they thought, this is it. The kingdom that Jesus has been talking about is going to establish very soon. 
And once Jesus take up the, the throne, we are done. Our job is done. We are going to rule with Jesus. You'll be governor number one. You'll be governor number two. You'll be governor number three. And life will be awesome. It's time to rest. They thought it's almost the time to finish their job, to retire, to hang their boots. And because of this, Jesus told them a parable. And Jesus is telling them that yes, the kingdom is coming, but it's not yet. It's not yet there. So they still have plenty of things to do. It's not the time to hang the boots just yet. And three things that Jesus is saying to them and to us today as well. It's not over. Meanwhile, get busy and it will be worth it. Now, firstly, it's not over. Now, Jesus was passing through Jericho when he told this parable. And Jericho uh, was where Archelaus built his palace. Archelaus had built his palace in Jericho. Now, of course, the question is, who was Archelaus? Now, Archelaus was the son of, the, of Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great was the king of Judea, uh, appointed by Rome uh, because Judea was under Roman occupation. And when he died, when he died in 4 BC, he appointed his son Archelaus to be the king of Judea and Samaria. But this appointment, however, required confirmation by Caesar Augustus in Rome. So Archelaus cannot just take the kingship from his father. Archelaus had to go to Rome for this to be confirmed by Emperor Augustus, by Caesar Augustus, and then he then will go back to Judea to begin his reign properly. So there's, a, there's some time between him going to Rome and before he returned to Judea. So this was the historical context. That's why when, the, when, when Jesus said in verse 11 this, the disciples understood what he was talking about. He said, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So the disciples knew, oh, that's what he was talking about. So Jesus is basically saying, yes, I am the rightful king. The kingship, the kingdom is mine. The kingdom is already here. But there's still time between now and when I truly and fully reign on my kingdom on earth. So now, now when, when, back when Jesus started his ministry, he began by proclaiming this. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Now the gospel means good news or fantastic news. So for the Jews, when Jesus says, this is the gospel of God, this is the good news, this is the gospel, the great news for the Jews at the time was that the kingdom of God that the Jews had been waiting, the kingdom of God that the Jews had been waiting for has arrived. And they need to turn from their old sinful ways and believe in this good news so that then they have that, so that they can enter into this kingdom. So that's the good news that Je the Jews uh, was hearing from, Je uh, from Jesus. And then Jesus proved himself. Jesus proved himself to be that rightful king of the kingdom. He healed the sick, he restored the blind, he restored the lame, the deaf, he rebuked the wind and the sea, he cast out demons, he raised the dead. He had compassions for the poor, for the social outcast, for the sinners. All the evidence uh, was there. Uh, the Pharisees tried to stumble him, but they, they just couldn't stop Jesus. 
And, and we also know uh, from history that on the third day after he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And after that, he went up to heaven and one day he will return. And all this shows that God's kingdom is already here and that Jesus is the king. And even today, even today we can see the evidence that God's kingdom is present. People are being saved. Hearts are touched by the goodness of Christ. Lives are transformed by the gospel. Relationships are being mended by the love of Christ. Jesus is reigning in the disciples' heart, in the people's hearts, making them more and more loving towards others. The evidence that the kingdom of God is present, we can see all around us. But we are still waiting. We are still waiting for Jesus to return, to establish His kingdom fully, to restore everything to perfection. And the theologian would use the term already but not yet because the kingdom of God is already here but not yet. So what's the implication for us? Well, for one, the implication for us, for us is this, our salvation is not the end. Our salvation is not the end, it's just the beginning. When we believe in Jesus, we are saved. Our hope is firm, our road is set, our destiny is secure, but our journey is not over. Our salvation is not the end, but it's the beginning. Now, the question, of course, what do we do now while we are waiting for the kingdom to fully arrive? Should we just kick back and relax and do nothing? Well, that's not the point of the parable. And this is the second point of the parable. Meanwhile, get busy. Meanwhile, get busy. Jesus, say, uh, Jesus says in verse 13, Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and he said to them, Engage in business until I come. Ten servants, ten minas, one mina each. One mina is equal to 100 days wages. So possibly maybe around 25,000 Aussie dollars, give and take. So it's not a super big amount, but enough for a servant to do something substantial with it. And the master told the servant, engage in business until I come. And engage in business means put this mina to work in order to produce more minas. Put these minas into trade somehow. Now, what would you do if you are given $25,000? What would you do? When my, when my grandfather lost his shop house in the big fire in my hometown, he lost hope. My grandma then pulled my dad out of school in his early teen and gave him a big sack of peppercorns and asked my dad to do business with it. My dad then left school, put the sack of peppercorns into work. He divided it, he sold them, and with a profit, he bought other goods and began selling those goods at the stadiums during sport matches. With a profit, he bought more goods and he sold them. After years of diligent work, he then opened a small shop. And from then, just keep, going, keep doing what he did, his wealth grew. All that from one sack of peppercorns. My dad took that sack of peppercorns and engaged in diligent and hard work business. Now, not many people perhaps are as entrepreneurial as my dad. Of course, I am not, definitely. If someone gave me $25,000, the best is I would just put it in a term deposit because I just don't know what to do with it. 
That's the least I can do. At least, at least I invested with someone who knows what to do. So that's, the, well, that's what the master told the servants to do. Engage in business until I return. And you know what? Jesus, before he went up to heaven, he gave the disciples this commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, that is what Jesus is telling us to do as well. Get busy, engage in God's business. Engage in God's business. Now, each of you, each of us has been given by God resources. Our time, our money, our health, our energy, and for some of us, our youth. Use them all. God is telling us, use them all, put them all into use, invest them all into the kingdom work so that in the end, people will become followers of Christ and people will grow as disciples of Christ. And joining ministry is one of the many ways you can do that. Now, each ministry at this church aims to help people to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and to proclaim Christ, or the combination of those. So we do encourage everyone after the service, just head to ministry fair. And for those of you who are watching online, well, you, you might miss ministry fair today, but uh, send email to volunteer at crossculture.net.au anyway, and well, ask Susan, where can I serve? Where can I serve? And Susan will definitely help, definitely help, happy to, to serve, to help you with that. And, and, and in 2016, a National Church Life Survey, uh, Cross Culture participated in that. And according to that survey, 44% of, of us agree that our gifts, skills, and talents are being used well at Cross Culture. That is fantastic. The words out there says that 2080 is, to, is the general rule of thumb but we are, way, we are way exceeding that 2018 mark. We are on a 44%, which is fantastic. But at the same time, 26% said that they want to be more involved in church. Now, we don't know whether they are already involved, but want to be more involved, or they are not involved and they want to be involved. And also according to, but according to our general survey last year, we did another church survey last year, 48% said that they are not serving in any ministry. Friends, in ministry, you can discover your gifts and you can use your gifts, your time, your energy and combine them with the gifts and talents of other people. You will witness how God is using your resources collectively to change people's lives. So if you are in the 48% category or the 26% category, like I said just now, go to ministry fair, send an email to Susan, and join those who are in the 44% category and put your resources to work for God's kingdom. Now, of course, it's worth noting, it's worth noting that joining a ministry at Cross Culture is not the only way to engage in business until Jesus returns. Some of you are already involved in God's work one way or another outside of Cross Culture. Well, have a blast. Do it well for the glory of God. And some of you are in a season of raising young children at home, then raising those small sinners and helping them to become disciples of Christ 
is your kingdom work in this season of life? Well, we are sinners too, big sinners, small sinners. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and some of you who are being called into a higher influence at work, that your time is very limited, well, make sure that you are intentional in using your work and using your influence at work as your ministry, as a way to display Christ, as a way to show what the gospel means to your workplace. And some of you are restricted because of health issue or because of what you're going through at the moment. Then your joy, your faithfulness to God in the midst of your suffering is a big way you can engage in God's business. People will be encouraged. People will be touched. So this is not a call. This is not a call to forsake other things and join a ministry, no. But this is a call to seriously consider how you can engage in God's business. This is a call for us to be intentional in being kingdom-oriented in everything we do until Jesus returns. And in, this, in a situation like this, perhaps one of the ways for you to engage in God's business is to share your toilet papers with your neighbors. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and, and, and so, of course, for many of us who are not sure how to, how to, how to start, how to start in engaging in God's business, well, maybe for many of you, joining a ministry is a really good way to do that. Start somewhere and see how God can use you. But whatever it is that you decide to do, get busy for the sake of the kingdom. And we do that because in the end, we know that it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Now, from this parable, we can learn two reasons. We can learn two reasons why putting our minah to work will be worth it. Firstly, because, because it will produce results. It will produce results. Those who put the minah to work do receive returns. Even the one who did not do anything could have put it in the bank and got some returns. That's what Jesus said. We, we can have, so friends, we can have the assurance. We can have the assurance that our labor will produce results, not because we are good, but because the kingdom is already here, because God has sent His Holy Spirit to accomplish His work on earth through us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, it might not be the result that we want within the time span that we prefer, but the power of God is already at work and God is using everything you do to grow His kingdom here on earth. So trust God, trust Him that all your labor will contribute towards God's purpose on earth, no matter how small it might feel at, at particular times. So trust that it will produce results. It will be worth it. And secondly, why it will be worth it? Because, because God will reward us. In the parable, in the, parable uh, the servants who produce returns are commended by the master and are given rewards. Unfortunately, the one who doesn't produce anything is reprimanded. And even the one mina that he has is taken away from him. Now friends, God is a good, good God. He has saved us. He has adopted us. He has given us His Son to die on the cross for our sins. 
He has given us eternal life and all that without us doing anything, without us performing any religious performance. We simply receive it by faith. Those things alone, those things alone should be more than sufficient motivation for us to dedicate all of our lives to God. Those things alone should be enough for us to dedicate all our life to God. But, but God promises us even more. He promises us rewards. Now, I know, when you hear this, you know, laboring for the kingdom, expecting rewards might sound quite insincere for many of us. We thought, you know, it sounds more noble if you labor for God out of duty, not out of rewards, right? We don't serve God because of the rewards. Well, the fact is that the Bible bears witness that there will be rewards for us who faithfully labors for the kingdom. Now, of course, we don't know what that rewards will look like in eternity. We can only speculate. The Bible does not make, does, the Bible does not make it clear. So we will never know. And I think we should not speculate. So it is wrong. It is wrong if we only want to labor for God only because of the reward. That's wrong. God's grace for us should be more than sufficient as well, the motivation for us to be in the ministry. But it's not wrong for us to look forward to the reward because God has promised it. Because God has promised it. So friends, it will be worth it. One of the worst regrets is that you enter God's presence at the end of your life and you realize that I should have, I should have, given, I should have given it a go. I should have put my mina to work. That will be one of the worst regrets. Now, in this parable, Jesus gives the distinction between the servants and the enemies. There are two groups of people here. From this parable alone, if you read this parable alone, it seems like the last servant who does not produce anything is still the master's servant at the end. He's still called the master, uh, the servant at the end. The only consequence for him is that his mina is taken away. No reward for him. There's huge reward, uh, there's huge regret, sorry. But that's about it. However, if we look at a similar parable, if we look at a similar parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 25, in the parable of the talent, the master actually condemns the lazy servant. In Matthew 25 verse 30, the master says, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in Matthew, outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, indicate, indicate eternal hell. So actually, in the parable of the talent, the worthless servant, although he thinks that he's the servant of the master, his action shows otherwise. He does not serve his master well, and his action is actually a defiance against his master. And because of that, he was thrown into the outer darkness. So friends, this is a severe warning for all of us. Now, this is not to guilt you to joining ministry. This is not that. But this is the reality. But friends, we are saved by grace alone, yes. Yes, we are saved when we put our faith in Christ alone. But our faith must move us to good works. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, this is the gift of God. Not the results of works so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. So we are saved not so that we can just kick back, uh, sit, sit back and, uh, and kick our feet and do nothing. No. We, are prepared, we have been prepared, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And if your faith, if your faith does not overflow in your life in the form of loving and faithful obedience to God, then friends, your faith is not real. James 2, 18 and 26 says this. Oops. Someone will, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from work is dead. So friends, engage in God's kingdom's business, not as a way to gain salvation. If you join ministry to gain salvation, that is a futile exercise. You have to go to Jesus. But do it, engage in God's kingdom business. Do it out of your gratitude for God who has saved you. Do it as an evidence of your salvation and do it also knowing that God will reward you in the end. So friends, it's not over. Your salvation is just the beginning. Meanwhile, get busy. God has given you His Holy Spirit. God has given you His gifts. Put them to use for the kingdom of God and in the end, it will be worth it. Now, before I close, I want to highlight just one small but very important thing. There is another group. There is one group of people that is mentioned in the parable as well, as, apart, from the, apart from the servants, which is this, the citizens that hate the master. In Luke 19.14, it says, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. They refuse, they blatantly refuse the lordship of this master. And at the end, this is what is said about them. And as for those enemies of mine, for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So friends, if you are not a Christian, if any of you here are not a Christian, I do not want you to miss this. The warning is very clear. If you have not called Jesus as your Savior and Lord, your end is destruction. We don't want you to end up there. We don't want you to end up there. For you right now, the priority perhaps, it's not, it's not so much to get busy with ministry at Cross Culture. Of course, you can join. We appreciate your help. We love you to get involved. But my prayer and my hope is that you get busy knowing God. You get busy exploring who God is. It's not over yet. The time is not over for you. Get busy exploring God and I sure hope that you will one day join the family of God in Christ. And believe me, it will be worth it to you as well. Let me pray and I'll take questions. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the clear parable that Jesus has given us and given to his disciples. We pray, Father, that we will not have the mentality of just relaxing and doing nothing until you return but you have given us your talents and your gifts. Help us to use them, Lord. Help us to use them for you, for the kingdom of God, and for people around us, that we can be blessing for them. Many people who are yet to know Jesus, many people need to grow in you, and many people need to be equipped to proclaim Christ. So help us, Father, to help us one another to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Sandy. Uh, there's a question here. Why did Jesus use the example of a severe and harsh master that slaughters people? Is that supposed to represent God's character? It is, it is a severe warning. 
and it shows that if you refuse God's reign, your end is destruction. Sin is very offensive to God. We think, if you think that God is harsh in punishing sinners, that's because we don't understand what sin is. That's, so, that's because we don't understand how offensive sin is to God. God is a holy God. God is a loving God. We talk about God is love, yes. But God is a holy God as well. Sin must be punished. And He has given us warning. He is even harsher or more cruel if He doesn't tell us anything. And then suddenly at the end, He, he, he destroys us or He sends us to hell. And he did, not, he, he, did not, he did not give us warning. I think a good parent will tell their children, this is wrong, this is what's going to happen to you, and I'm giving you warning. I'm not being harsh, but this is the warning. So I don't think God is harsh. God is just telling you the reality of what's to come. Uh, how would the master react if a servant engaged in business and lost his mina? Uh, isn't that worse than keeping the mina safe? Or will the master be happy the servant simply tried? Can you say that again, Sam? Sorry. How would the master react? I think this is speculative. Uh, how would the master react if a servant engaged in business and lost his mina in the GFC of... The casino, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's speculative and that's sort of uh, talking about what the Bible doesn't say. Uh, I think the point is basically Jesus is saying that if you put your mina to work, it will produce result. I think that's the point. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that. If it doesn't work, then I don't know. No, he doesn't say it. But it's just, I think the point is that it will produce result. Like what I said just now, I think Paul says that your labor in God is not in vain. But again, it might not be the result that you want, it might not be the result that you want in the time span that you want, but it will produce result. What does verse 21 mean when the servant said of his master, you take what you did not deposit, you reap what you didn't sow? What can we learn about God from these words? We know that everything belongs to God. So what does this verse mean? I think those are interesting because it says a few things. One, the servant does not understand the character of God. He says that you, 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 you sow what you don't reap, uh, sorry, you reap when you don't sow. Well, the mina comes from the master. It's not like you get your own mina and you put your own mina to work and you give the mina back to me. No, the, the, the master says, this is, this is the mina that is supposed to be mine and I give it to you. It's a joy, use it and it will produce result. So I think it shows that the servant does not know the character of God. It shows that the, master, uh, the, the, the servant does not know who God is. I think that's a severe warning for us as well. I think in Matthew chapter 7, I think we, we just went through the, 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 uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will, will enter the kingdom of God. But those who, who obey, who, those who put the mina to work, those who know me exactly what, what I am, who I am and what my salvation means. So I guess, I think that's just saying that the city servant is, just doesn't know who I am, doesn't know the master. And... It says in, in, um, in, in Matthew chapter 25, this is the worthless and wicked servant. So I hope that that's a severe warning for us and I hope that we don't have that kind of mentality towards God. Thank you, Sandy. If your question wasn't answered or you've got other ones, grab Sandy at the end of the service or sure. if you're watching online, you can text him or whatever you like. Yeah, yeah. Just yell your questions and I'll... <laughs> that's right.